Hey everyone, I'm Alicia McClintic. Welcome to A Plain Accounts weekly podcast where every week we open the lectionary to see what God might be saying to us. We're here to discuss the gospel lection with my friend and colleague, Pastor Curtis Lilly. Hey Curtis, thanks for joining us. Hey Alicia, thanks for having me. <laughs> so grateful that you could come back um, and chat again about scriptures with us this week. Thanks again for your time last week. I got lots of texts last week about how great our podcast was. So basically, we're doing really stellar. <laughs> um, Fantastic. <and> to, <laughs> so to all of our listeners, please do let us know that you're listening and tuning in. We love to make this a helpful resource for you. So if you let us know, um, we can continue to uh, engage the scriptures or engage questions that are meaningful and substantive to you as you prepare to preach. So thanks for the feedback. Always grateful for it. Um, Curtis, before we dive into our gospel scriptures today, any, any thoughts or any sort of framing perspectives you want to offer before we read the scripture? Um, just a reminder that these passages that we're going to hear uh, this morning continue uh, what we heard last week. And so, you know, last week we heard two rival groups who don't usually uh, hang out with each other come after Jesus and Jesus uh, engages them in a way that they all walk away marveling. Uh, and this week we'll get Sadducees coming to Jesus. And then, uh, then after that, the Pharisees come back for round two. Uh, and then Jesus has a question of his own for the Pharisees. And so there's, there are all of these questions um, yeah, that where uh, Jesus and the people who are setting themselves against Jesus are trying to make sense of the world and, um, and how Jesus might fit into it. Yeah. Uh, and I would also say that it feels like in these passages, um, again, we're like, this is, this is the final act. This is la ultima hora. This is like the last bit of Jesus's life and ministry. So we're getting Jesus saying some pretty sharp words. He doesn't, he doesn't, take time beating around the bush. This is sort of spicy and salty Jesus in these passages. Um, so you'll see, you'll see what I mean, I think, as I, uh, as I read from Matthew chapter 22. Now, I'm reading an extended version of the lectionary text for this week, just because I think that the, that the whole scope of the passage is important in continuation from our work last week. So I'm going to pick up at verse 23. The same day, some Sadducees came to Jesus saying, there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies childless, his brother shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died childless, leaving the widow to his brother. The second did the same. So also the third, all the way down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman herself died. In the resurrection, then, whose wife of the seven will she be? For all of them had married her. Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is God, not of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astounded at his teaching. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, 
asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Then Jesus said to them, how is it then that David by the spirit calls him Lord saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Okay, so we read, we read that whole kind of sequence together because I think it's important to understand the ways that um, these questions posed to Jesus and then ultimately Jesus's final question posed um, to his testers uh, is setting the stage for really like the most important things that Jesus has to say as he recognizes his time is limited and he knows that continuing to engage with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the powerful ones in the city at this time and in this way, he, he knows it's, it's preempting um, his, his death and the, and the passion that is coming. Uh, the, the scripture sequences that follow are are a lot of woe to you, <laughs> scribes and Pharisees, um, before, uh, before we really kind of get to the, the last moments of Jesus's life. So I, I love this moment with the Sadducees where Jesus just says, you're wrong. You don't understand the power of God. And, and also still though, Jesus offers a corrective in what we have, what, we've, what we call that section, the greatest commandment, love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but I don't think that we can kind of appropriately or faithfully talk about that greatest commandment bit if we're not understanding what Jesus is trying to do kind of in the scope of the discourse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to add to what you say, like when he says, you know, you, you are wrong. Uh, my translation, I've got the NASB here is you are mistaken. Um, it, that this is further evidence of what happened after the, the Sermon on the Mount when people were amazed because he spoke as one with authority. And, and so, you know, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Uh, having come uh, to the city of God and the best and the brightest and the smartest and the most learned have are all coming at Jesus with questions to test him, to, to catch him up uh, in all of these things. And, and I love the final, the final line that sort of wraps up this whole, um, this whole section. Um, no one was able to answer him a word. Uh, nor did anyone dare from that day on ask uh, ask him another question. That that there's a sort of like I've proven that your wisdom is inadequate to mm. to mine. There's a there's a definitiveness to it, to their um, their confrontation here. That's that's pretty uh, dramatic. Yeah, def- it, there is there is the sense that the that the dialogue has come to its final decision point. 
Um, and I think that's what's really fascinating about that last um, scene in this kind of progression of scenes is that we don't often see Jesus preemptively asking the question, right? Where last week we had Jesus respond to a question with a question, right? Um, when they ask about taxes, Jesus says, well, give me a coin whose image is on this, right? Jesus engages or responds or rebuts, um, but it, it doesn't seem like within our history of Jesus's interaction with the Pharisees that Jesus sort of preemptively asks questions. And it seems to me like it's in that moment that Jesus is trying to say, are, are you going to receive this authority or this wisdom that you clearly are seeing and testing? Are you going to receive it or not? Um, and it seems like they come to that place where they're not able to receive it or not able to respond or not able to affirm Jesus as he is. And so nobody dares say anything anymore because they know they've reached the end of the line, you know? Yeah. What I think part of the, part of the, the difficulty that the, these different groups are facing is that Jesus is operating out of a different framework. Mm -hmm. Jesus is operating out of a, a fundamentally different mode. And so we saw this last week with the, the question about uh, the coin and taxes that Jesus was transitioning these, his hearers from a us versus them, Caesar versus God uh, approach to the world where he subjected Caesar to the reign of God um, putting Caesar under this overarching framework of, of God's authority and God's reign. And so that happened last week. And now we move into this question um, about the resurrection um, and, and, and marriage. Mm -hmm. And what we, what we see uh, Jesus doing is, is, again, reframing their world. They the Sadducees don't seem to be able to imagine a, an eternity without marriage. And, and Jesus very quickly is like, you idiots, dummies. <laughs> like mar marriage is like a thing. It is not the main thing, right? Mm -hmm. it, it is a sign of the main thing. It, and so God's intimacy, God's union with with God's people, with God's bride, um, is the main thing for all of eternity. Mm -hmm. uh, marriage in this world and this existence points us to that thing, but is not the main. And so again, they're like, he's taking main, main things for them and going, eh, that's, you know, let's, let's, and he's, just, I think he's just breaking their brains, right? Like they're not in, the, in a place where they can engage that mind mindset shift that, yeah. Totally. And okay. And then here's, here's where the feminist scholar in me sort of nerds out a little bit because, <laughs> because it's, it's also in this space where Jesus is saying like, like this, this woman gets to exist in God's reign on her own terms. She's not passed mm. from one man to another, right? Like her identity as someone is as somebody who belongs to the reign of God. And that is her main thing, not which man she's married to in the afterlife, right? And, and so I think that also is breaking their brains in some fundamental ways where, where Jesus is offering this 
fundamentally different way of being in the world that is centered first on God's reign of light and love and peace and justice. And, and Jesus is saying, here's the greatest commandment situation where, where Jesus says the ultimate reality, the ultimate thing is loving God with all that you are. And then like out of that loving uh, your neighbor, loving others as you love yourself. And Jesus has been doing some significant work right in the Sermon on the Mount and other places reframing that love of neighbor as like your neighbor is not, who you think they are like we love neighbor and enemy alike also and and so um but but you but you can only get to that place of receiving jesus's interpretation of the law and the prophets when you realize jesus is operating on a different frequency than the pharisees and the sadducees right um and if you can't like tune in to jesus's wavelength you're like you're gonna miss it right you're gonna end up with um in the situation that the Pharisees do at the end where you can't dare to ask any more questions where you can't say anymore. Right. Because you like, it's, it's like walkie talkies on a different frequency. You know what I mean? Did I just reveal like I'm a major nineties kid? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, actually right now, my daughters and I are using walkie talkies to communicate during school during the day. So um, <laughs> walkie talkie, walkie talkies are making a comeback. Uh, <laughs> live in but, the dream. <laughs> I very much, I very, so I very much resonate with uh, that when you're on different frequencies or if one of the walkie talkies is off, uh, you can't, you can't communicate. Um, right. and, and I'm, you know, I'm fascinated by the way that Jesus finishes his conversation of the greatest commandment because he, he emphasizes on these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. Mm. And so again, there's this reframing, I think that's happening that, especially the Pharisees seem to think that, that the law and the prophets were fundamentally about a, a purity, mm. um, were about an adherence to a strict set of guidelines that, and that you could love God perfectly uh, through your commitment to these things and at the same time, neglect people who might need need might uh be in need that that somehow those were able to be reconciled in their minds and jesus is saying no like the the ceiling for your love for god is equal to the extent to which you are loving your neighbors like you can't you can't say i love god you know 10 but I'm, only, but I'm only going to love my neighbors five. No, Max, you love God as five. I'm making up uh, arbitrary numbers here. But like, like right, yeah. but, but, the, but that those capacities are intertwined. They can't be separated. Because this, fundamentally. this is a, fundamentally, right? And then, and then this is like, again, the frequency that Jesus is operating on, right? Like as, as these people are asking questions about like, is it this or that? Do we belong to this thing or to that thing? Help us separate and divide. And Jesus is saying, no, they're fundamentally connected. Like you had just said. Um, and, and this, this I think comes back to our passage from last week about the image of God, right? This, this um, giving to God what is God's or returning God's image back to God. That's, that's a, a complete and utter devotion of your whole self, your whole life to God, which then also is reflected toward 
uh, all those who bear God's image as well, right? Um, so as these people are asking Jesus, tell us how to tell us how to keep the law perfectly. Tell us which law is the best law. And Jesus says, you're you're looking toward the wrong things. Like that that we yeah. we we look side yeah. to side. We look to those who are in need. We look to the other image bearers around us. And that is the reflection of how deep and how holy our love of God is, which is, which is crazy. It's like this, I, it's understandable that it's blowing their minds right now. Like when they've existed in, in a framework where they have been told, if you if you keep these right sort of ritual purity laws, if you believe the right things and say the right things and perform the right rituals, then you've made it into God's sort of top tier. Um, and Jesus is saying, you, you, can't, you can't exist in that space um, without yeah. like a deep love for neighbor, for justice. There are, there are other portions in the scripture that reflect the sort of summary statement, right? We might point to Micah 6, 8 where um, we're told to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly, or Amos 5, where uh, Yahweh proclaims, let justice roll down like streams, right? There, there are other places where, where it's not like Jesus is pulling this out of nowhere, um, but in some yeah. ways it's fundamentally earth shattering to the people who are testing him. Yeah, and I, and I want to expand on what you were saying about the image of God. So mm. um, just this week, one of my best friends, uh, thanked me for the way that I loved his son. Um, his son like had went through something um, and I wrote him a card. And, it, and so for my friend, like, he knows, like he, ha like he knows that I care for him as a friend, like who he is, but there was something about the, the love that I showed for for his offspring mm. that that was this really profound expression that i i can't take my friend and ignore his kids yeah um mm -hmm. that that like for him it's it's us like we're we're a thing together and i and i and so when you talk about the image of god like yeah. i want to love god okay look around you and see all of these image bearers mm -hmm. love them and you love God. Like there is this really clear connection that, that these people are, are signs of God, are representative of, of God's presence in the world. And we have this, we have this access to God in, through our neighbors um, that I think is really significant. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I also, it reminds me of, um, okay. Of the ways that in the past two years, I've experienced the great baby boom among my friends. <laughs> I've, I've watched so many of my friends become parents for the first time. And listen, I, I like kids, but I usually say like, talk to me when you can, you know, talk and we'll be fine. <laughs> um, it's like the infant situation that's a little bit difficult for me. But because of my love for these friends, I have been overwhelmed by a love for their children in ways that like, I was never that person before, if that makes any sense. And so as I think about this, this work that that happens in us and through us as we seek to love God and love God's own offspring. It is 
it is in fact that spirit. It is that love of God that then compels us in a kind of supernatural way, right? It's, it's not something that happens necessarily by pure striving in any sort of way, but it's, it's this mysterious force of love that grows and multiplies in us as we think about loving God and then loving God's image bearers. I love that, um, that really like concrete example of loving a friend and then their children because there isn't a way to separate them right like if you if you want to have a rich and fulfilling and meaningful relationship with these friends like they like they are now a family unit that is the way that it goes right um and and then there is this like this this growth this fruit of love that grows um, um among you and i i think that is a really like concrete way to bring it like a an image to this conversation about images. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. I'm glad that that connected with you. Yeah, um, I I think I think it's helpful to to talk a little bit about some of those like homiletical handles or some kind of like fresh perspectives because I don't know about you, but I've heard that I've heard this passage preached lots and lots of times as like a church kid and as somebody who now is is a preacher. It is it is. Um, like a core part of our scriptural identity and how we, um, you and I have had lots of conversations, Curtis, about like ethics and applied ethics, right? And so this is mm. one of one of those passages that gets folded into those conversations over and over again. And sometimes it can be hard to hear those in um, meaningful and fresh ways. So um, do you have any other kinds of like homiletical handles that you want to put on this passage so that our people might hear it in in a fresh and concrete way um yeah uh you know when i think about the first the first uh part of this passage uh, this conversation around the resurrection uh i i think that um our people need to hear us talk about the resurrection and the power mm. of god um just I am amazed on a regular basis at how weak our eschatology is. Mm. And, and, and so, um, you know, this first, this first section um, gives us an opportunity. I mean, the Sadducees were people who were committed to the scriptures and committed to God and, and Jesus lays it out there harshly I, I mean right I mean you're wrong you're wrong you, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God mm. and and I think the last the last part of this whole passage where Jesus asks the question in return I think is intended to reveal their their the lack lack of depth of their their understanding of the scriptures mm. um but but yeah, when it, when it comes to the resurrection, this is for followers of Jesus, um, a, a central doctrine that is worthy of our preaching attention on a regular basis. Um, that, that, and so like specifically, mm. um, like I, I, I can think of a couple things that when I've talked about the resurrection that have really resonated with people or seem to connect with them. But, you know, we tend to have this idea that like 
in the modern world, you know, we are, we're intellectually advanced, you know, we are, we've been through the enlightenment, we like know stuff now, we have science. And so we're oh, like, yeah. the re- and so, you know, we're like, well, I don't really want to talk about the resurrection with people who are going to be skeptical of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I like to remind people that the resurrection was always a crazy doctrine <laughs> that that 2000 years ago a hundred percent of the time dead people stay dead yeah and so yeah. <laughs> that, that that hasn't changed that that from normal like life you die and you stay dead now there have always been stories of people who have been resuscitated and various sorts of things but like that person still ultimately ends up in the ground right um and so for us to declare that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that this is part of God's purpose, not only for Jesus, but for all of creation, or that all, all things are being made new um, in, the, in the spirit of the resurrection that Jesus experiences is such a hopeful vision. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a reminder that, that, God's plans for the future aren't to scrap everything and start, start over, but that in the same way that Jesus was raised in the same raw materials <laughs> that he died in, that so is everything else. And so, you know, I, I just, I think that around the resurrection, there's so much good stuff and that, that we can, we can enjoy and help our people to um, appreciate and, and connect with. Absolutely. Like I, yes. And then I think especially in this time, in this season where like, at least in the States, we're looking at like a really turbulent um, election season and we're wondering like, is it possible um, to, to be a faithful follower of Jesus in like such turbulent times? And I think that it's our responsibility to remind our people of the good news of the resurrection, that God is up to something good. God is moving all creation to new creation. And it's starting with us in our own hearts and through the power of the resurrection, the same power that conquered the grave lives in us and enables us to live holy lives, right? To, to lean into this work of loving God with all that we are and then loving our neighbor with all that God equips us with. And and I, yeah. think, I think as long as we're rooted in the resurrection, we can be that people of hope. We can be that, um, that good harvest that Matthew has been talking about in these parables of the vineyard kind of leading up here. And, and that, um, I mean, you, you mentioned this as well uh, before we went live that like also this promise of the resurrection is this God withness, this with Godness. Do you want to say a little bit more about that too? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess let me say this, right? That Jesus is doing two different things. He is uh, building a discontinuity mm. between this life and the next life. And we already talked about this a little bit with marriage, right? That, that there are some things that we love about this life that are not going to be part of eternity, right? That they, they function in this, this age, according to God's purposes, but they point to a bigger thing. And, and so, you know, on one hand, uh, Caesar and Caesar's reign is 
put into its proper perspective. You know, Caesar's reign is not going to continue beyond the resurrection, you know, into, into eternity. And so um, from the like national scope, things are uh, put in their proper perspective from the, the household or family perspective uh, sense, things are put into their proper perspective. Everything is like oriented mm. um, in this way. And so there's this, discontinuity that we experience as we understand the larger truth of what God's doing. But then there's this like deep continuity mm. uh, that, that exists from the beginning to the end, this sense of like, what has God's core purpose and mission been from the outset to, to, you know, to the end. Uh, and that is God's desire to be, to live in union, to live as one with, to enfold human beings into God's very own life. Um, and so um, he, God's able to say, or Jesus is able to say, uh, quoting Exodus, that God is with uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob after their death. Now, this is, this is still before, you know, the future resurrection that we're longing for. But, like, God is somehow with these three figures who everybody agrees have died. And, and it reminds me of Paul um, when, you know, when Paul talks about um, that, that he certainly uh, is, would be glad to continue uh, living and proclaiming the gospel, um, but to die would be to, uh, to be with Christ. Mm -hmm. And so he has this sense that uh, whatever experience of with Christness he has here, when Paul dies, he will continue to be with Christ in this way that for him shapes his vision, both of now and, and future that, that with Christness doesn't, doesn't change. Um, and so that's, I, that's part of what I, I, I see Jesus speaking to, especially as he transitions to this love for God and love for neighbor that, mm -hmm. that everything about God's purposes is relational oneness mm -hmm. is this this union uh with god with one another um and that's free death and following death and in the resurrection all of that is is perfected um you know for eternity and so all of this seems really important to me yeah oh my gosh i totally agree and and so then then i think that is that's like a really concrete word of hope that we're allowed to bring to our people week after week when we preach the resurrection, that it's not just about sometime, somewhere. It is. It is about this, this moment of, of future perfection that you were just talking about, but it's also about a with Christness or it's, um, it's Colossians, I believe, like our lives are hidden with Christ in God. It's this God withness mm -hmm. that's happening right here and right now that then impacts like our everyday moment by moment 
movement through the world, whether that's engaging with Caesar or whether that's engaging in our own households and everything in between, right? That, that the, the promise of the resurrection is this sort of all-encompassing reality that Jesus then is consistently pointing us to. Um, and and that's, that's a good word. That's good news for, for us today. And if we can't be preaching that kind of good news, like I'm not even sure what we're doing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, if if God can be said to be with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like what, uh, what more does that mean for us in this present moment? If God is not uh, a God of the dead, but of the living and we are living, like, what does that mean for us as we experience uh, the, the presence of God in, in our world, in our, in the midst of the community of faith, um, as we, as we encounter God, uh, through God's image bearers. Um, so through our neighbors, whatever form those neighbors might take, whether they be enemies or brothers and sisters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. It's been such a great chat this morning. Thanks so much for taking some time um, to like dig deep into the mysteries of the faith. Like this is, this is what it's all about. It's been really great to read scripture together and to meditate on the good news that it is for us today. Um, I'll remind all of our listeners to check out the commentaries on the website. As always, there's some stellar contributors there. Um, Subscribe to the podcast, follow us on all the socials, leave us some feedback if you're enjoying this as a helpful resource. Um, And I think that's what we've got for this week. Preach boldly. Peace out. See you next week. Thanks, Liz.